Dr. Aaron Wiseman is a family physician in rural southwest Indiana and a physician coach, speaker, blogger, and a podcaster. We talk about three ideas she wishes she could teach her younger self, and each has its own actionable step to help us all live more fulfilling lives. We also flip the script on an old formula here at the podcast. On previous episodes, we've had specialists discuss what they think all physicians should know about their specialty, but this time, she told us what she wants all specialists to know about being a rural family medicine physician. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. Those on this podcast accept no liability for the outcomes of medical decisions based on this information. As the radiologists like to say, clinical correlation is required. This is not medical advice, and this does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. If you have a medical problem, seek medical attention. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On today's episode, we have family physician and life coach, Erin Wiseman. She's a family medicine physician in rural Indiana, and she also hosts her own podcast, helps physicians as a life coach, and has an active blog at truthrxs.com, truth prescriptions, but the abbreviation rxs.com. So, uh, Dr. Erin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to join you. So first, just tell us a little bit about your training, where you went to medical school and did residency, and what you're up to now. Yeah, so I am a DO from Kansas City University out in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm originally from Southern Indiana, and when I was looking around at medical schools, um, I have to say we are a uh, Boilermaker Purdue University faithful. So I, my family, not that they were against IU School of Medicine, but they were like, maybe you can look at some other things because that rivalry um, runs deep here in Indiana. And so I went out to Kansas City. Uh, I love the osteopathic uh, mindset. And so it was one of the first places I interviewed, and that's where I decided to stay. Um, after finishing medical school, I went to Deaconess Family Medicine Residency in Evansville, Indiana, kind of down in the toe of Indiana, and um, got my training there, and um, didn't do any kind of fellowship or specialty afterwards, um, just got busy and jumped into practice. So where is it you're practicing now? Well, it has been a journey, my friend, let me tell you. So a few weeks after I got out of residency, I realized things were not good. Hindsight's always 2020. I was probably already burned out in residency and having only taken Labor Day weekend off and started into my new practice, I was really pedaled to the metal. Um, I got out into practice and it wasn't different than residency. It was actually harder. And that's when I started looking around and being like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Because at that point in that place, I knew I couldn't do that for the next 30 some odd years of my career. So I ended up practicing at the office for about three years and then transitioned away from traditional outpatient family medicine. I had a real nasty non-compete that I had to get away from. So for about 12, 15 months, I um, practiced emergency medicine here in rural Indiana. And right now, clinically, I'm doing a lot of fun stuff with telehealth and telemedicine. Well, that must give you a whole lot more freedom. Absolutely. It does. And it's fun. I'll be honest, I am definitely a millennial and I love what we are doing with technology right now and marrying that with the clinical skills of healthcare. 
So one of the things that I think is very helpful for for burnout is having a creative outlet. So one of your creative outlets is is your podcast. So tell us a little about your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So it was around the turn of the year 2018. um, I had a business coach at that time and she had a really amazing podcast. I'd really gotten to podcasting with all the um, foam, the the free open education um, that emergency medicine was doing, you know, having jumped into that field, I really wanted- Foam. I've I've actually seen that hashtag quite a bit and didn't know what's, what's foam. Aside from this thing that pretentious restaurants will put on your food. Yeah, free, open um, access um, information. So I think the M is medicine or, or anyway, but it's pretty much everything that's been locked down before we either had to like join an association or like be a part of a particular hospital. Now the thought process is we need to disseminate this information faster and we need to make it more available to the masses. And actually emergency medicine is one of the fields that has really taken to this. There's a lot of great podcasts out there right now, um, bringing up to date, um, journal information, new techniques from different hospitals on a variety of topics. And so um, family medicine is starting to get a little bit into it. There's a few podcasts that are popping up, but essentially the thought processes behind it is if we're doing something great or we learn something great, we need to share this with our colleagues in an uncumbered way. You know, not through a journal that you're not going to have time to read, not through a members-only access online, but actually making it available through a podcast. I love it. That's, I think, what we're both trying to do here. So, so what's your podcast? What's it called and what do you talk about? Sure. My podcast is called Doctor Me First, um, and it's all about authentic conversations between female physicians. I am the only female doctor in my county here in Southern Indiana, and I was really lonely. And, you know, that's another thing that goes along with burnout is isolation. And so kind of in my own selfish way, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start talking to other female colleagues and I'm going to start recording them. And when I did, there were just some amazing conversations that happened. Um, recording wise, I'm up to like episode number 50. I've launched about 25 of those, but we talk about everything, life and medicine and practice and motherhood and being a woman in medicine. Um, and just really putting that dialogue out into the world. I recently had a a comment on my, um, Apple iTunes, where it was a non-physician, but she had commented that was so great to hear that doctors have problems too. So, I mean, it's particularly for physicians, but I'm loving that non-clinical people are listening to it too, because the things that we struggle with, perhaps they're a little just bit more magnified, but everybody else is struggling with it too. We're not as special as we think we are. No, no. Sometimes we're a little bit more pathologic than what we think we are. Why do you call it Dr. Me First? Well, it goes back to in 2017. I really sat down and I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write the book that I needed when I was in the middle of burnout that would have helped me. And so in 2015, I started doing life coaches training and some of it jived with my clinical science type A brain and some of it didn't. 
So what I did is I sat down and I wrote a workbook taking those things that I learned in life coaching training and marrying it with my science brain. And the project was named Dr. Me First. So it is a self-guided workbook for anyone who knows that there's more to their life. They just don't know where that is. Or for that person who is just feeling super crispy and just totally in the middle of burnout, you know, no empathy for patients, depersonalization, not even knowing what their calling is. It's something they can pick up, put pen to paper and work through it. And my hopes at the end is you come out a better person and a better doctor. Wow. Yeah. So from that, I just kept the theme and I thought, well, might as well name this doctor me first too. And I think it's important, right? We all make that analogy or rather I've heard this analogy before to, um, to affixing your oxygen mask on before you help someone else, right? In the airplane, it's because it loses pressure so quickly that if you don't get it on really fast, you know, you'll, the, I think it's from like the partial pressure of oxygen, it'll, it'll leave your bloodstream and you fall unconscious if you don't happen, if it doesn't happen fast enough. So if, if you don't get the mask on fast enough, so you always have to put your own mask on first before, because you're not, you're not as effective a physician, caretaker, family member, community member, if you don't look out for yourself. Yeah, and I definitely look at it this way. I mean, 95% of us, the stats say, went into medicine because we wanted to help and care for other people. So we really what are the other very- percent say? I think it's money and prestige. <laughs> okay. the other ones. Those are the, those are the honest ones. Maybe, maybe. But so <laughs> I would say majority of us went into it for good reasons. Um, and so at times I feel like that kind of gets- used against us when we're in training. And then by the time we come out, we're super self-sacrificing. Like we will take care of other people, whatever the cost it is to us. So I really emphasize people that it really is about filling your own cup and your healing art should come from the overflow rather than you turning your cup over and shaking every last drop out of it. So yeah, I, I, the, the oxygen mass has been used. Um, I like the cup analogy. I love the one that Dr. Dyke, Dyke Drahman uses too with the canary and the, the coal mine um, and about how we all need to put our own gas mask on in, in the environment of, you know, toxicity that we work in at times. So yeah, any of those I think are a great analogy. So before the, the show, we had talked about, um, and I think some of these probably come from your, your workbook as well, three lessons that you wish you had before you went through your um, your recovery, burnout and recovery, three life lessons and then three action steps that you recommend people take, whether it's a, a physician that you're coaching or really anyone else, uh, simple action steps that they can take in order to address that lesson that you learned. So the first one you mentioned was life is a journey there's no arriving. So what do you mean by that? And what's the action step that you take in order to, to manage that? Well, I think for me, this goes all the way back to getting into medical school that it was like, okay, I get into school and, and then it's going to, you know, it's going to get better. Then we'll get through first year and then second year and then third year. And like, it was like always pushing towards that like next mile marker. And then like when I got through all those years and got out into training, like that's when I was going to like summit the top of that mountain after climbing and climbing and climbing up. But little did I know that that was just one mountain in the pathway of the journey of my life. And so I think I put so much expectation on finishing, 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 pushing through, hammering through that 
I didn't enjoy the steps along the way at all. I mean, I barely remember the first year of my first child's life. I was an intern at the time. Um, you know, not that my program was malignant. It was just, it was, it was rough. It was rough being a new intern, being a mother, um, just figuring it all out. And I look back at baby pictures now. I'm like, I don't even recall that. I don't even remember that holiday. And a lot of the pictures, I wasn't even there. And so I just tell people, you know, that making sure when you're walking your path that you're actually like looking around and engaging instead of getting to the point like I did when I summited the top of the mountain and I was like, holy hell, I've climbed the wrong mountain. I really thought after I got out of residency that I had made a huge mistake by going into medicine. I was ready to hang up the white coat, throw the stethoscope in the trash can and like go find something else. Cause I was, I had just turned 30 at the time and I was like, I, I can do something else. I can change. But I think it's that delayed gratification that we're really, really good at as physicians that we really need to pump the brakes on as well. So my action step with that is life is happening now. And for a few minutes, we got to stop thinking about the delayed gratification and do something that brings richness into our life today. Not waiting for when the rotation's over, not waiting for the next time we go on vacation, but we, we need to know how we can more fully experience life today because we all see that death is around us, illness is around us, and we're not going to evade it either. If I, if I may make a suggestion to, to supplement that, if you're looking for something specific within that action step, you know, human connection is, is so hugely important. And sometimes in medicine, even though we're seeing patients all the time, we're not really, you know, they're, we're there to help them. You know, they're not, we're not really talking about ourselves or, or connecting about ourselves. So in terms of the delayed gratification and, and doing something now, for, that, for a couple of minutes a day, reach out to someone that you haven't spoken to in a while. Just send an email to someone that maybe you haven't spoken to a year or two or three and just tell them how you're doing and ask them how, how they're doing. And even something as simple in that can add some richness, some of that richness that you're talking about and some of that depth to your life. Yeah, or absolutely. Like one thing that I had a client she decided to do to bring riches into her life is she bought like really expensive coffee, like the stuff that's like, you don't want to spill. It's so expensive. And each morning she would make her really expensive coffee and sit with it, smell it, drink it, just take five minutes to really like taste this coffee and, and, and just be with it. And she felt like that was a really centering, um, a really great experience for her to say, you know, I'm sitting in my home that, you know, I've worked really hard for in my kitchen that I love drinking this really expensive coffee. And that also gets back to gratitude. Because if it's that level of conscientiousness, when you're drinking the coffee, you're enjoying the coffee. You're grateful for the coffee. You're appreciating the coffee. So that's a, that's another thing that can uh, kind of tie into this action step. And there's a huge a lot a lot of work about gratitude. But you know the sad thing is, a lot of times when people get to me as a life and burnout coach, they can't even they can't even comprehend gratitude. 
because they've just been so hammered down. Um, just almost, like I said, just beat down to the ground that that's one of the first things that I work with people about is like finding something in the midst of the stuff of the suck that they can, they can be gracious for. And I have a personal story about the, uh, the delayed gratification as well. My 28th birthday, I think I was a second year ENT resident and one of my co-residents husband's uh, was there. And he said, man, he was a year or two older than us. Man, 28 was a great year. It's a shame you're going to miss it. Because we just spend so much time in the hospital. And then our free time is spent studying, preparing a presentation, right? We give up that 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 life. And so that might have been the time that I realized that, you know what, I, I have to, I only have two years left in my 20s. I have to find time to be able to enjoy it and not just write another paper and you know, do more research and, you know, all the rest of the pressure that we put on ourselves. So the next thing that you mentioned was you are not alone. Yeah. So what did you mean by that? Well, going back to that isolationism, um, so many times I know that when I talk with other physicians, even in a crowded room, they feel like nobody understands, nobody's kind of knows their journey. And also because um, as a physician leader, it's not like we can relay those struggles to those that we work with and definitely not unloading those on our patients. And so that's a huge one that when I work with people, I think that's one of the main reasons they reach out to a coach because they don't want to be alone anymore. They, they want to have somebody to tell their story and to understand them again. And um, it's one of those things too, that we know with um, suicide research, that when a person becomes totally isolated and hopeless, that's the moment at which suicide seems like a really good idea. And as physicians, um, we don't get second chances on suicide. Typically a first attempt of a physician is usually always fatal. And so that's where I, I really want to reach out to people who are maybe in that hopeless state or who are feeling very isolated and just tell them that they're not alone and that, um, you know, they, we all want to be perceived as competent and strong and capable, but it really, it can lead to some huge amount of isolationism. Um, you know, the, the, for instance, that I shared with you when we were talking beforehand is what I felt like was lip service that was given to us in residency. Like we were told if we needed help and that there were services, but, and then my experience was the same attending would then criticize a resident or student, um, who did seek that help or who maybe came to them, um, and said, Hey, I'm really struggling. And I felt like that was a huge double standard that can no longer be tolerated and that we shouldn't tolerate. Um, And that's why I think it's great having other physician colleagues who are life coaches because we can be a totally unbiased, unattached resource for physicians and trainees who feel stuck in their situation. And um, that's one, for instance, why I formed my own business. I didn't want to be part of a hospital group. I consult with groups now, but I wanted to kind of have that autonomy of my own so people can feel safe to unload their burdens when they do feel so isolated and alone. And so my action step for that was reach out to one person who is safe to you. And have an open, open and honest conversation about how you're really doing. 
Not about, you know, how when you put the smile on and the white coat on and you walk into the room, like take all that off and be like, really, how are you doing? Wow. That's, um, yeah, I, I, even though we're, we're surrounded by our colleagues, we can very often feel, feel isolated and, you know, the, you know, being vulnerable, I think it's Brene Brown who gave the Ted talk and does yes. the, um, she's the social psychologist that talks about the, the benefit of, of being vulnerable. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to allowing yourself to be vulnerable and how it's actually a show of strength. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not weakness. It's strength. One thing that I've started doing around this, because, you know, we're all busy and we don't want to go to yet another meeting or anything like that is I've started having like online groups that meet, uh, via zoom. That's the, the, um, online meeting that I use and it does, it provides a safe space. It's only physicians. Um, and the two questions that you have to answer every meeting is what has been your greatest victory since the last time we talked and what has been your low point. And so that helps like open up that dialogue. Um, one, because then you can kind of show your wounds to people, but then also you can be a witness to those wounds and it helps with your own healing. Because here's the thing, most doctors walking around today are wounded warriors. I mean, think about that patient who still comes into your mind and dreams from years ago that you haven't told anybody about, but you know it still bothers you. So this is the, a way that I've really helped um, my colleagues have that safe space, have that place to be vulnerable. And um, it's coaching involved, but sometimes it turns into a little bit of a support group. Here locally, I have got one live group going in Vincent's Indiana that I call Women in Medicine. And it's along the same lines. It builds community, but then it gives a place to be open. And because when we carry so many burdens around, at some point you've got to unload them or they're going to crush you. And so I think it's just with the amount that everyone is carrying these days, we've got to start relying on each other. Groups and hospital systems have got to see that they've got to provide the safe space for physicians because otherwise we're all just going to break under the load or we're just going to drop it and be like, we're out and leave. Yeah. Excellent. Powerful points. Uh, the last thing that, that I think that really dovetails well into what you were just saying is it's important to listen to yourself. So if you're having some inner turmoil, right, it's important to to recognize that that's there. So when you're gonna if you're gonna have an open and honest conversation with someone, I think first you need to to listen to yourself. So is that is that what you meant? Where, where were yeah, you going with that? I I think so. Yeah, you do have to first. I mean, that's one thing that we are we have gotten so good about not doing is self awareness. Um, I do a talk with residents and I'm like, so tell me what your body feels like when you need to pee. And, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, you know, like I get super cubic pressure and like, and I'm like, no, really like tune into that. What does it feel like when you need to pee? And then I'm like, okay, everybody go take a break because I know you all need to pee right now. And then come back and tell me what it feels like after you've emptied your bladder. Because for so long we have denied ourselves that we, we don't even have self-awareness when it comes to our own body urges, let alone our feelings and emotions. It's a huge one. You know, so many times we're like, oh, we're grouchy because we're tired or, oh, we're angry that. 
But really, when you start looking at it and kind of getting a little bit deeper, doing that in your head kind of work that nobody really wants to do, you're like, oh, maybe I'm angry because X, Y, and Z. Um, maybe something else is going on. Maybe I'm having like some perpetual thoughts. So really learning exactly to like listen to yourself and that like squirmy feeling that you have inside of you when something is just not right or um, somebody said something and you're like, that just doesn't feel good. I don't know about you, but so many times I would just be like, uh, illogical, push it to the side. But now I'm starting to learn. I'm like, no, that's a body cue. Like I need to tune into that. What is this telling me? It could be something good, bad, neutral, whatever it is, at least pick up on the cues now. And, and like I said, that's been, that's been intriguing as I've been working with physicians. You know, we think we know the body really well and we know other people's bodies pretty well. We have no clue on our own. So then I think that leads further into burnout because then when we can't even pick up on our own cues, be it um, thought cues or body cues, we just spiral downward until we like get to the bottom of the pit and then we feel so stuck and desperate and alone and isolated and broken. We don't even know where to start because we don't even know how to sit with our feelings and our thoughts to kind of wade all through that. So that's why I encourage people to like, stop and start examining that. I mean, how many of us can sit with ourselves in silence? I know it took me a long time and I still struggle with that. Like, it's always like, you've got to be busy. You got to be doing something. Uh, for me, it's because I always feel like my worth was always kind of based on what I'm doing, what I had accomplished, what I've got going on, which, uh, you know, paper am I working on, presentation, how many patients are I seeing, what am I going to do tomorrow? When, in fact, we need to take that time to be like, what's going on with me? You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of like mindset work or mindfulness going on, um, you know, meditation, yoga, it doesn't matter, whatever term you want to call it. But pretty much all those are about centering back into yourself and really getting real with who you are in the body that you live in. So is there a specific way that you recommend? I know you just said, you know, whether it's uh, meditation or yoga, but there's meditation, there's journaling, um, go for a walk. Is there yeah, there's, a specific there's one or, hiking, a, or a there's frequency? Coloring, there's listening sorry, to coloring? Yeah, coloring is one. Um, there's like listening to like um, ambient music. Um, there's, there's so, there's many different ways as there are people. And so there's is, no right answer to that. Is and there a frequency? Like, like five minutes a day, five minutes every other day, 10 minutes, you know, is there, is there some, some type of, of structure that you think is, is necessary to have, let's say a minimum effective dose? <laughs> We all want that, don't we? Because we or just want to take that and then we'll yeah. be like, okay, we're good for the day. We did that. Yeah. I've got my five and a half minutes. The life coach in me says no, because one day you may need five minutes and the next day you may need to, may need to do five minute boluses every hour. So it really comes down to who you are and what really helps you. So like me personally, I, I struggle with meditation. I've tried it. I've done the podcast. You know, I've got the like Headspace app. Like I've really tried it. But for me, really tuning into my body and really listening, I need movement. I need motion with it. I need to be um, 
like burn off that like top 10% of energy so that then I can like really get focused in on what's going on. So I'm an outdoors person. So I do a lot of trail hiking and trail running. And that's my like checking in with myself time. Like I said, other people have other things that they do. So I think you have to know first who you are and what your personality type is when you're thinking about activities and thinking about things when you almost get like lost in the flow of it. I mean, journaling, that's a really good one for some people that that helps them kind of check back in when they're doing that like free thought on paper. There's a lot of research too about journaling, like connecting thoughts, brain and actually writing it down the, the tactical side. And we can get into that later, but I don't think there's a perfect recipe for this. And I think you're always perpetually figuring out and then tweaking and figuring something out and then tweaking. Erin, I need my assignment. I need my very specific uh, time period and, and task so I can but take it off my list. That goes back to point list. number one. It's a journey. <laughs> because, you know, here's the thing too, when I work with our colleagues, they want the solution. You know, they want the piece of paper that they do X, Y, Z, so many minutes a day for so many weeks and they will get it done and then they will be healthy. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. I'm sorry. And if anybody is selling that to you and calling themselves a coach, you need to turn around and go the other way because that is not how it works. Um, I have people who are like, well, how do I sign up and work with you? And I'm like, well, you know, I have a lot of different options because for everybody, it's a little bit different. Some people come to me and they're all gung ho and they're ready to go. And then I start asking the hard questions and they like back off because either they need some more time to think about it or they're just not ready. And so, like I said, there's no, like, if you do this, you will be fixed because you first have to realize you're not broken. There's just things that are off that need to be set back a line. All right. So just to circle back around the three points that you made, one, life is a journey. There's no arriving. So wherever you are with your training or you're, you're in the thick of residency or you're a new attending you have to recognize that there's always going to be that next step. So make sure you're doing something to enjoy your life now. Make it more enjoyable. Make it more fulfilling. Number recommendation, recommendation was no, number two was you're not alone. So be sure to reach out to someone on a regular basis to have an open and ominous conversation about what's really going on in your life because your patients are going to be constantly bombarding you with their issues. This is what we do but you need to be able to have an open and honest conversation with, with someone else. And then the last one is you need to have an open and honest conversation with yourself. So you have to, to schedule in some alone, quiet, uninterrupted time, whether it's some type of physical activity or journaling or meditation, where there's no distraction from your thoughts and you're really stuck with them so you can re reflect on, um, on how you're feeling and how you're doing. You summed it up great. So there, there is one more thing that I wanted to talk to you about because you're a, you're a family medicine physician and, and we've had orthopedic surgeons and ophthalmologists and I'm an otolaryngologist. We had an anesthesiologist and every, every one of them wanted to talk about what they think every physician should know about their specialty. So as a family medicine physician, you're a generalist, right? You're responsible for everything. So what is it that you would like us specialists to know 
about a family medicine physician, either what it is um, that you you struggle with when you're seeing your patients or what it is that you feel is the, the strength of the specialty, what it's like being a family, anything that you think it would benefit us to know about what it is, about something about family medicine. Sure. So I can only talk from my own perspective um, when it comes to family medicine. And, and family medicine is so diverse um, in what people choose to do within their practice, um, what they don't do within their practice. So like I said, I'm going to come from the perspective of me. But I think the first thing I would want a specialist to know as a family medicine doctor is um, there is so much psychosocial that we take care of and that we know about um, in our patient, in their lives, in their family, those nuances that don't always make it in to the, e the EMR, that maybe we did something a little bit quirky um, with the medicine or the referral or something like that. But, it would, but I know for myself, there's usually a rhyme or reason um, and it usually comes off the psychosocial on what's going on with them. For instance, like, um, so I'm in the rural part of the state. We don't even have Uber here, which is totally sad, but transportation is a huge <laughs> deal. And so um, there's been times that I have had taken care of family members who needed to go to um, like a similar specialist. And though one is probably sicker than the other, like I've, I've had to request my nurse or even myself call uh, this specialist and be like, I have to have you see both of them because they're coming in the same, you know, van together. Um, you know, their, their pastor from their church is driving them down, you know? And, and so I think that's the biggest one. And I think the other thing too, coming from the family medicine perspective is that we are a generalist. We, we do have to take care I mean, I took care of cradle to grave and still do. And so we know a lot, but not evidently a lot about your specialty. And I know sometimes um, with some of the, my friends who are subspecialists, you know, they get frustrated with some of the referrals that they get, but sometimes you've tried a lot and you just don't know where else to go. Um, and I think that goes back to maybe as a system, we need to get better at, at colleague to colleague calls. And just bouncing things off of. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I always try to get on the phone when I have the time and also the mental energy to get a hold of a colleague, but it's like chasing cats sometimes for us to get together. But having those conversations to do what's best for our patients. I mean, there is so much pressure right now with formulary changes, um, with what insurances are doing that the management at the primary care level of these patients is, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And so many times it's like uh, if a specialist orders a medicine or a particular test and they can't get a hold of, or there's something's going on, a lot of time that gets kicked back to me. Like I'm, I'm the pitch runner that just got thrown into the game and I got to figure it out. Um, one of those stories I can think of when I first got out of residency is, um, being the new doctor in town, of course, I was like picking up all the new patients and, um, I was working at, uh, I had started working at the local, one of the local nursing homes 
and it was a real young gal. She was like 43, got admitted to the nursing home in stage um, CHF. Little did I know that she was like on a 24 hour like infusion with all of these cardiac meds. Like they were sending her to the nursing home for hospice because they thought that she was just going to die. And so now I'm back to like the inpatient rounds, taking care of these like super toxic meds. We're like drawing troughs every couple hours from the nursing home and, and like also having the hospice talk with this family and like preparing them for what that looks like. And lo and behold, like she starts getting better. And so it was like one of those that just the juggling of that is, oh, it's astronomical sometimes. And here I'm sitting like an hour away from any major hospital if something should happen or, you know, I'm calling up my good buddies from medical school trying to get the best information that I can from them. I'm getting stressed out just thinking about that. (sighs) It's amazing. So I, you know, there's times where I'm at that, you know, people just walk into the office and they're like, hey, I need to see the doctor. And we're not a walk-in clinic or we weren't a walk-in clinic, I should say, since I'm not there anymore. Um, but we had one guy, he came in, he had cut his hand in his workshop. He was retired. And I mean, he he opens up his towel that he brought in. And I mean, I'm clearly looking at all the tendons in the palm of his hand. <sighs> and I'm like, uh, no, this is bigger. And I had to literally... It's so terrible, but I, so I know our local EMS. So I get on the phone. I'm like, Chris, you got to come to the office. I got a guy here. He's going to try to drive himself to the hospital. I was like, he's got a really significant hand laceration. (laughs) And like, I made him get in the ambulance to go because otherwise he was just going to go home and take care of his dog. Yeah. And hope, hope that it's secondary intention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was going to probably put some duct tape on it. (laughs) And it's like, no, no, we can't. So I I think that's something too, to remember, like in the middle of a busy clinic day, or you're in the OR and you get these calls and you're just like, what in the F are they doing? Like just remembering on the other side, like they're probably struggling with something big too. Yeah. And and as a specialist, sometimes that's when I, when I walk the patients through why they're seeing me, sometimes, you know, and I, I even need to, I'll clarify what the, what the question is. Um, because that, you know, that happens sometimes it just, oh yeah listen, you just know the patients, they're super sick. They're super complicated. You're just, just guys, I just, I just need a little help. That's all I'm asking for right now. Like, you know, and yeah. so I think it's important that, that we, we, also communicate with our with our colleagues you know a couple episodes ago i had a radiologist sanj kachel who who wrote a book on positive psychology and one of the things that he said as a radiologist was he makes it a point to call the referring doctor at some regular interval just so he can connect with the with the referring physician so he's not just stuck in a dark room and um you know reading film after film completely divorced from the patient that he's somehow helping you know three steps away by by reading the film that those those physician connections are really important it really gets back to what you're you were talking about earlier you're you're not alone you know the connections are important so even reaching out and 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 speaking to the referring doctor or, or as a family physician reaching out and speaking to the 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 specialist 
this is what the patient's got going on. This is what I'm worried about, you know, and, and I think it's a learning opportunity for everybody. So yeah, I think that's, making that's it really clear because we've all gotten lazy about like reason for referral and putting like chronic sinusitis, you know what I mean? Like yeah, really yeah. getting, like putting some more information with that, like, um, you know, failed treatments, how many times, you know, what did their CT show? Like really like helping that next guy out down the road, just taking the few extra minutes to put in all the work that you did. Yes. All the work that you did, all the work that you did as, as the primary care provider, this is what I've done so far. This is all the work that I've put into this patient and they're still not, not getting better. You know, where do we, where do we go from here? Yeah. I think that's, that's absolutely. And I think, I think we're all going to have to work on capturing that time back. Like we really need to push back and say, you know, having that time to be like, even if it's carved out of your schedule being like, no, I, I, I need to have that so I can talk to, you know, my referring physician or my primary care. Because I mean, I think that's part of where we went wrong in the culture of medicine when we start digitalizing everything. We just assume that our message would get across through that EMR and it absolutely doesn't. And I think that's the importance of having the connectedness within your medical community. So that like, you know, I remember as a student, um, like going into still when doctor's lounges were still a thing and, and knowing the people in there and, and being able to know a face with a name And I feel like that's been part of our problem is we don't even know who's who. We don't even know how to talk to each other because we're not sure of the roles that everybody's playing or the patient type or even, you know, maybe there's something that you're really good at. But because we don't have that personal connection anymore, um, that's not happening. And that's a detriment to us and it's a detriment to our patients. And I... I definitely need to get a lot better about that. I need to get a lot better about um, contacting my referring physicians. And for those who are just starting out in practice, hugely important for building your practice. When a referring doctor sends, even if they didn't send the patient to you, even if they ended up in your office because you're available, because you're the new doctor in town, you're the one with the open schedule, contact that referring provider and and let them know what's going on with their patient it'll it'll help you enjoy your job more it'll be better care for the patient and it'll end up building your business so well the other thing too then like as the family practice then i'm like hey i know i can get a hold of dr block you know he 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 seemed like a nice guy it seems like this will be a good fit for this patient um because then you have that congeniality between the two of you to like i can even think now of specialists that I rotated with as a family medicine resident. Yeah. I refer to them all the time because I know them. I know their care. I can attest to their character. And, and I know that if anything happens, like they have my cell phone number, if they really need to get a hold of me. And I think, I think that's where it comes back on pushing back on administration and being like your protected time. Like you should have protected time to be able to get to these medical staff meetings. You should have protected time Um, somewhere in your schedule that if you are a specialist, like you said, being able at the end of your day to try to contact somebody, um, having the protected time to get away to local CMEs to meet other physicians is so vitally important. And we really need to push back on that and say, no, 
this is important to us. We need to protect it. We need to have this in our life and in our practice. Excellent points. Excellent points. So, Aaron Wiseman, where can people find you online? All right. They can uh, Google me. It's Aaron with two R's and Wiseman is spelled we is man. You can also type in truth prescriptions and I will hopefully uh, pop up at the top of that. Um, you can hang out with me at Dr. Me First on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And you can find me. I like hanging out these days a lot on Instagram and LinkedIn. Facebook is not my friend right now, I'll be perfectly honest. So you can find me at the, the handle TruthRxS. And um, again, my name, Aaron Wiseman Dio on LinkedIn. Well, this was a great conversation. I certainly learned a lot about the life of a family medicine physician and, and ways that I can improve my life. So I hope our listeners have, and I'm sure they have. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.